Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi there and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by my Wall Street. I'm James and I have a great interview to share with you guys today. A couple of weeks ago, I sat down with Aaron Bush. Aaron is a writer and investor that has dedicated his research to the business of gaming. He's previously worked with the Motley Fool, but now he spends his time working with Navic, a consulting, research and advisory firm that helps games industry professionals better master the business of gaming. Navic has served over 100 companies with a range of services around game design, economy design, user acquisition, financial analysis, and more. In the following conversation, Aaron shares his two cents on the current state of the gaming industry, including topics such as why there has been so many mergers and acquisitions recently, what Netflix has in store with its gaming ambitions, and the role that the blockchain will play in the future of gaming. He also shares a few companies that he's really interested in at the moment, so it's definitely worth checking out. This is one of the really great interviews that I really really enjoyed recording. So make sure to sit back and enjoy, and we'll be back with the usual service of Stock Club next week. So Aaron, welcome to the Stock Club podcast. We've been fans of your work for a couple of years now and we're delighted to finally have you here. But for any of our listeners that might not know you or the stuff you do, can you give us a quick overview of your journey to date as an investor, as an analyst and even as a gamer? Sure. So, um I mean, I started investing really as a kid and found the Motley Fool as a teenager and that's kind of Well, I, you know, learning from a bunch of the analysts and, um, you know, the co-founders over there is really where I started learning about investing. And then I spent seven years at the Motley Fool as, uh, as an analyst and portfolio manager, essentially, mm. um, before I, I moved on to my, my newest journey, which is being the co-founder of Navic, which is, a a research con- consulting and advisory company dedicated to helping professionals in the video game industry better master the business of of gaming and so that that's been a pretty recent shift and um really it started as an accident started writing about the video game industry a couple of years ago and was lucky to stumble upon an audience and a great co-founder and it, and it's turned into something real today and so i spent a lot of my time thinking about you know the current and future state of the video game industry and all the various you know companies and trends going on there. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a fascinating industry to be part of. What is it about the gaming industry? You know, anyone who knows you um, and follows has followed you over the past few years knows that you're you're and you you might not like this title, but you are a bit of an expert in the industry. What is it that attracts you so much to gaming in particular? Yeah, I mean, part of it is just like it's fun. I mean, I've always played video games since I was a kid, and you know, it's always been one of my my favorite hobbies, you know, just playing a wide variety of video games. I've always kind of been interested in like the game design, game economy side of things too, much more as like an armchair game designer than anything. Yeah. We we have, we have real game designers on our team that you know, <laughs> um work with a bunch of of studios, but I've always I've always just enjoyed games and you know trying to figure out how to win games what goes into making games and so it's just always been an interest but you know as I was telling you before we started recording I started writing about the video game industry a couple of years ago and I started doing that just because I partially because I was bored on weekends but also I just felt like 
you know, playing games was unproductive. And I have this weird personal thing where like, if I'm not productive, I just start getting really antsy. So I was like, man, I have to figure out how to make, make this hobby something productive. And that's why yeah. I ended up starting writing about it. And th the other piece there is just the gaming industry is a lot larger than people think it is, um, yeah. you know, kind of the, the, the sound bite that, that travels around is the video game industry is larger than, you know, the movie industry and the music industry combined, but it's really at this point, more like two X that, and it's grown pretty tremendously over the past many years. And obviously COVID was another accelerant for the gaming industry as well. So, I mean, I've just found like, I enjoy it personally, but then when you actually take a look at the industry, it's a lot bigger than most people think. And there's a lot more going on in it under the hood than most people would realize as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that point of comparison, I, I'd seen a similar comparison between the gaming industry and the movie industry. And, you know, it's, it's, it's striking to see. And, and I think a lot of what we're going to talk about over the next while is it will, will touch on a lot of those different parts. But to get into, I suppose, the first point is that, you know, as investors, when we look at or talk about the gaming industry recently, and certainly in 2022, one of the big themes coming up has been mergers and acquisitions. So we've seen some huge acquisitions, huge mergers, Microsoft buying Activision, Take-Two buying Zynga, Sony buying Bungie's. In your opinion, are we seeing, is the gaming industry at a point where it's moving towards consolidation of these kind of massive companies buying up the smaller games developers? Or, or what do you, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, I think consolidation has been going on for quite a while. And even if you look at the the deals that have been done over the past couple of years, I think of 2020, there was a lot more activity than 2019. 2021 was a huge step up in M&A activity compared to 2020. And then obviously just January alone of 2022 is just yeah. as big as all of 2021. So they're definitely, this, this isn't new, but we, we've, this is probably like the peak of consolidation. And that's not to say there won't be more consolidation, but it's hard to imagine more big moves happening at one time than what we've seen this past January with Microsoft uh, looking to acquire Activision and then Take-Two looking to acquire Zynga. But to, to kind of get under the hood, like it, it's happening for a few reasons and a few different reasons, which is why we see it in a bunch of different contexts. Um, for one, the uh, to, I guess kind of connect it to, to Microsoft, but we can talk more about that specific deal in more depth if you want. But in yeah. general, big platforms are developing ecosystems that increasingly hinge on exclusives and subscriptions. And so to get more exclusives, generally you acquire companies with IP that people like, or just more talented teams that can make more exclusives for you. And the nature of subscriptions just leads to consolidation, right? Like users, no matter what, you know, what form of entertainment you're looking at. They don't want to juggle 12 subscriptions. And so, uh, you know, increasing the value of the subscription just naturally leads itself to consolidation in the industry. And so I think we've seen a bit of that when it comes to some of these larger players that typically are these big platforms. Second, Apple's IDFA deprecation took a toll on a lot of mobile companies. And mm. so for those who don't really know what that means, you know, the whole IDFA concept was was really a way for companies to be able to track users more individually so that when they when they advertise to users on mobile devices they're able to do it in a more personalized way but with apple's big privacy push they deprecated you know idfa and kind of put in place new technologies which aren't as useful and so for mobile companies that are looking to target players to download their apps and try to get the specific players that they think could be you know big spenders and all of that 
it's been, you know, a lot of these companies' processes have been rocked pretty hard. And yeah. so, you know, when we look at big companies like Zynga, we can talk more about that deal too. A lot of these mobile companies have taken a hit. And so not only is it a more attractive price for some of these bigger companies to then swoop in and aggregate some of these mobile companies at just a more compelling valuations, but it also means that companies that are struggling with content, sometimes it makes more sense to get paired with companies that have ad tech capabilities in-house or just have more, more apps in-house so that they can create more internal useful data to be leveraged across a wider suite of like a wider portfolio of mobile games. And so yeah. that's been, you know, that's been like another trend. So, you know, big platforms on like the console PC side been driving consolidation. Uh, Apple's uh, privacy change is driving more consolidation. And then there are just some other companies that many investors might not know of, but call it like Stillfront and Embracer that have just been doing a ton of M&A in the video game industry. And basically their business model is inorganic growth. And so there's, there's a lot of forces out there that have been driving consolidation for different reasons across the industry, but they're all kind of hitting at the same time, yeah. which, which just makes it feel like consolidation all around has just been moving even faster and in bigger ways. Yeah, that IDFA change really rocked a lot of industries. And I think gaming might be one that a lot of people kind of forget because people usually talk about advertising and mobile advertising in particular. One thing, though, I, I find quite interesting and I think was something I learned when Take-Two bought Zynga was how, how um, important mobile gaming is in terms of revenue, though, like how much revenue they can generate from in-app purchases compared to, I suppose, what you might call traditional gaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mobile gaming is bigger than console gaming. It's bigger than PC gaming. It's the, you know, if you look at any platform, mobile gaming is the biggest. It's the most important. And it's also still growing the fastest generally. And so, yeah, it's super important. And obviously, you know, companies that are looking to grow and get bigger, like turning their sites to mobile gaming makes a lot of sense. They typically, the same talent that builds a great console game is not the same talent that builds a great mobile game. And even a team that builds a great mobile game isn't necessarily the same team that should build a completely different type of mobile game in a different genre. So um, there's a lot of reason why these big companies would want to continue buying these teams that just have different capabilities. And also, uh, not to jump the gun, but you know, we kind of see this with Zynga Take-Two. Just Take-Two is very much like a hit-driven business. I mean, it has big franchises like Grand Theft Auto, Red Dead Redemption that, you know, those new games come out maybe like once every like five years from, from Rockstar, the studio that makes them. And those are like insane years for the company when they happen, but then the years after they're not as insane. And so what, what mobile gaming can bring is a form of more of that, like recurring revenue. It has, it is a bit more stable and less blockbustery, which, you know, companies tend to get valued more nicely when they have yeah. more stable revenues that they can rely on. I was just about to say investors really like stability and, and not big one-off bumps. And onto you, you know, you mentioned subscription and, you know, in, in the wider, I suppose, business sense, you know, as you mentioned, investors love SaaS companies, these recurring revenue companies. It's interesting to hear that a lot of gaming companies are getting into this. I know We've got Xbox Game Pass, for example. I know Microsoft are, are feeling their way out there too. How important do you think subscription gaming services or, or subscription platforms are going to be in the gaming industry? I think it's going to be important. I don't think it's going to be everything. But I think if you look at Xbox Game Pass as an example, mm. it's probably the best deal 
for consumers in the entire gaming industry paying, I don't know, 10, 15 bucks a month to get access to a pretty big and growing catalog of games. And, you know, as Xbox buys more studios, although the new games that it's going to publish, they're going to be accessible day one in the subscription. And so instead yeah. of, you know, spending 60, $70 on a new game, you could just spend, you know, the 15 a month and get access to all of them. That's a really great deal. And it's obviously leading to, to Xbox Game Pass growing pretty successfully. And it, it does kind of change the dynamics like of the business models. And so uh, Sony with PlayStation, for example, they've probably, uh, you know, probably as we're, we're recording this, Sony, like today, tomorrow, they're, they're going to be, I think, like announcing their like new subscription service terms. And like, they're going to be kind of doubling down on that themselves, probably not to directly compete against Game Pass. I have a hard time seeing them being willing to give up the, the massive like cash flow that comes from just releasing these big games, you know, they can rake in, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions, um, uh, when, when a big game hits and kind of giving that up for a subscription model. Um, but I do think that we are going to see subscriptions become more prominent in the industry. Also kind of similar to what we see in video, like it's not going to be a winner take all, but it is going to be, there isn't room for a ton of them at big scale. And so we see publishers like Electronic Arts, like they have their own subscription business where you can spend however much to get access to a bunch of, you know, EA games, not necessarily the new ones, but a bunch of the the backlog. And, you know, if you kind of look at it per publisher, it doesn't really make sense to for them to have all of their own individual ones. So I could see with EA, for example, they already have struck an agreement with Game Pass to where the EA subscription service is available in Game Pass. And I think we could see more of that happen in the future. So yeah, I think subscriptions is going to be really interesting. It's not going to be everything, as I mentioned, but it's, it's one of those like trends that's worth keeping an eye on. And if you can find the companies that are doing it well, it, it is a bit of interesting business model disruption that could happen over the long term as the, the winners really play themselves out. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned IP there and, and that kind of being a factor in, in the recent M&A activity we've seen. To your mind, who is, who's the best game developer out there? Who do you see as kind of the, 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 cream, of the, the cream of the crop? Well, I, I don't know if there is a best. I, I think there's a ton of good development going on and it also just depends on the game right and so like i mean i just mentioned rockstar who makes grand theft auto red dead redemption they've done some other stuff like i think they probably are about the best at what they do um that like those games are incredible but you know if you want to find the best developer for a match three mobile game (laughs) you know like you're looking somewhere else so i kind of have a hard time answering that question the truth is there's just so much talent everywhere Um, yeah that developing a great game is really like just a start, but um, you know, all the technology pieces, all the publishing, being able to leverage great IP, all of these factors go together to, to make these games as big of hits as they are. Yeah, I get the sense sometimes like, you know, when the, the most recent Red Dead Redemption comes out, for example, it's nearly like a piece of art rather than a game, you know, with the storylines and the graphics and stuff like that. They're really, really incredible. You know, they're not just kind of like the, the yearly FIFA or, or NFL games that come out, Madden games. And then I suppose when we look behind, you know, a lot of people, when they think of gaming, they think of the likes of EA and, and Take-Two and, and Activision. But when we look kind of behind it, and if we think about from an investing point of view, kind of pick and shovel strategies, there's a lot of game platform developers out there like Unity and Inspired Entertainment. Do any of them stick out to you as, as particularly, you know, strong companies or strong at what they do? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Unity is a pretty incredible platform. I think, you know, the majority of mobile games get built on Unity and a bunch of other games get built on Unity too. Um, and Unity's done a good job of investing heavily in R&D in order to continue growing out their, their capabilities. And they've done a bunch of acquisitions of various sizes to continue growing out their, their tool sets too. And so, I mean, it, like what they've been able to build, build in terms of like a tool suite for developers to leverage it's really hard to match. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's very impressive as a picks and shovels play. I, I mean, if we mentioned unity, I think we also have to mention Epic games, which has, mm. I mean, they own like the unreal engine, which is, you know, the main competitor to unity and obviously they're, they have, you know, different strengths, different kind of target markets, but yeah, I mean, uh, unreal has also done a pretty great job and Epic, I mean, obviously works on a bunch of other stuff, you know, like they make Fortnite, they have the Epic game store. They, have done you know m a of their own for various things and are working to build out new new infrastructure of their own but yeah i mean both of these companies are like really important to the future of the industry um, yeah. and i mean there are other like software companies and things that are more niche and there are others that you know they might have more like outsourcing arms for you know just helping teams like localize content or work on certain art direction or you know just a bunch of things there's it's an enormous ecosystem, but yeah, uh, Unity, Epic, those are definitely, I um, mean, they're already big companies, but those are probably more of, you know, the titans in the making. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of to pull it back a bit and, and something you mentioned earlier was you made the comparison between gaming and kind of what we see in the streaming landscape. There's obviously a, a growing overlap coming there with Netflix who have in the last couple of months, they bought, I think, three gaming acquisitions. What, what do you think? What's Netflix's strategy here? I'm really, really curious. How do you see Netflix proceeding and, and how do you see their kind of incursion into the gaming industry going? Sure. Well, Reed Hastings once said that Fortnite was a bigger competitor than HBO. I think that was the quote, something like that, <laughs> um, which is interesting, right? Uh, I think the deeper truth there is, you know, it's not necessarily just about Fortnite. It's just that games are gaining market share of entertainment mm. time. It's a way for consumers to stay immersed for longer periods of time, uh, often in social ways and also across different platforms. And so, you know, the rise of gaming isn't something that really should be ignored by, frankly, any of the, the entertainment titans. And so it's good to see Netflix thinking about it. And it makes sense that they would try to come up with some type of strategy that works uniquely for them. I think the, the best way to look at what Netflix is doing is to look back at what they did with video, yeah. uh, specifically, you know, getting streaming started and the process of how they went from just paying every, for everybody else's content to building their own content. And it really, like, it wasn't like a flip the, white, the light switch kind of moment. It really was like a steady build over a longer period of time. They started with licensing originals then they slowly started developing their own originals, putting like pretty big dollars behind like very specific concepts. And through doing that, you know, they learn a lot. They learn a lot on the tech side. They learn a lot on the production side. They learn a lot about what, like how to best market this content to, you know, to existing users to get them to engage more, but also externally to get people to try out Netflix mm. increasingly. And so, you know, then they learn best practices and they start ramping up production and not just domestically, but increasingly all around the world until today, you know, the majority of content that you see on Netflix has been also made and funded, you know, 
full stack done by by Netflix. And I think gaming will take a similar type of approach. They've started with licensing and they've started purely with mobile gaming. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think they're you know going to be making simple games to just get a grasp of how the in-app experience goes, you know, the best, the best places to put it on the home screen, the conversion experience of like, all right, once you click on a game, what's the, you know, the best uh, like user experience to, to, you know, actually play that game and, you know, keep people going back to Netflix. And then, you know, we're seeing small M&A begin. And this is really less about, again, like getting that IP or making big moves. It's more about just they onboarded, you know, like a a leader and now they're starting to acquire like teams around him. And I think we'll see them crank up the budget for further M&A and in-house development over time. And so, as you mentioned, they've already acquired three teams. I think all of which, or at least most of which focus on interactive storytelling, I believe, which makes like complete and total sense for that to be where Netflix starts. One of those two, I'm sorry, I don't remember the names of these studios off the top of my head. Yeah, uh, but they they've already worked with Netflix, and so they've already made like a Stranger Things mobile app, for example. Yeah. So I mean, some of it is like a pretty natural tuck in. So yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting to see what they've done. It's not going to be as easy for them as video, and I don't think that they are. There, there's no chance they're going to be as dominant in gaming as they've been in, in video. That that's just like not <laughs> that's not going to happen. Yeah, um, it's going to be hard. They'll probably have some failures, but I do expect that they can accrue talent that they will be able to successfully leverage their IP to create engaging experiences. You know, the Netflix homepage is incredible advertising real estate. So putting games there is almost definitely going to lead to, you know, a good number, a big chunk of subscribers spending more time with Netflix in new ways, which ideally also improves retention. So yeah, what they're doing makes sense to me. I think, you know, the specifics of how they execute is more just kind of what I'm curious to see, like, you know, what types of games do they look to make first? Like, who are they going to look to acquire? Like, how are they going to, you know, how big are they going to go with their budgets for some of these things? I think those are all the the open questions, but I don't know. I just enjoy seeing a company like Netflix, which obviously is the best at what they do, try to tackle something new and also try to become really good at that as well. It's almost definitely going to lead to some type of success, even though I mean, it's still going to be niche within Netflix, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be something new for the gaming industry. Like there, there isn't a business that has handled gaming like this before. And I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seems to me like they, they, they're on the path towards, instead of becoming a video streaming service package, becoming an entertainment package as a whole, and that kind of real competition for attention. So kind of moving on then, I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, but you know, when we talk about gaming as well, the big word that crops up these days is the metaverse and the kind of overlap how gaming will support the metaverse, how metaverse will support the gaming. And we've seen a lot of big, big companies kind of double down or go all in on the metaverse. Facebook changed their name to Meta. Uh, Microsoft are betting big there. I know Nike are too. There's a lot of companies in a lot of different areas. I know you and, and the folks over at Navic do a lot of work, research in this, but what is your perception of the metaverse as it stands right now, and, and particularly in relation to gaming? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the metaverse is mostly 
a buzzword. I think, you know, if you talk yeah. to the CEOs of all of the companies you just mentioned, if they had to give a definition or like be thrown <laughs> into a room and have to agree on what it means, I think they, they would all like have points of disagreement. So I, th- I think it's important to just like note that initially, but really, you know, in my mind, the metaverse really is just about like a more immersive and rewarding internet that people can just do more things in and spend more time in. And so in some ways, like gaming has already been that, but I think it'll continue to be a pioneer of what that immersion and rewarding for creators and users means. And so I do think that um, we will see more publishers and studios and companies around the industry, like really work hard to, to make experiences more immersive, to make them more accessible, like, for example, like across different devices, different uh, media formats, and just to be more rewarding to lots of people. And so to me, it's less that the metaverse is a trend and more that there are trends that make this thing we call the metaverse possible. And so, mm-hmm. just, so I, I mean, we could go in a million directions with that, but I guess to kind of narrow in on a couple that are more specific to gaming, user-generated content is a really big one. The idea of user-generated content is not new. Um, mm-hmm. So like Facebook, for example, purely the entire platform is user-generated content of you know text and images and video. But I think gaming is a really interesting place where user-generated content can take uh, a step further and mean even more things. And so really like, I mean, like the top example is a company like Roblox, right? Like it is a platform for anybody to create experiences that then anyone on the app can then go and enjoy. And through doing so, um, you know, be able to embed, you know, economic transactions in it where, you know, the platform gets a cut, but also the creators get a cut as well. And that's, you know, really making, you know, that leg of the creator economy grow. And we've, you know, as Roblox continues to invest in improving the capabilities of the platform, in many different ways, what user-generated content can be, it just becomes crazier and crazier of all the yeah. possibilities. But it's not just Roblox too. I think, um, you know, even within Fortnite, like Fortnite creator mode is sort of like the beginning efforts of Epic games to, to really democratize creation. I and mean, you can see in a bunch of other popular games too, like Free Fire, which is like a mobile game. It's been like a big battle royale game that has been really popular in regions like Southeast Asia, Latin America, et cetera. And it has a, like a UGC component where people can build their own maps and modes and things that um, is really interesting. Genshin Impact, which is a, a big cross-platform game from a, a Chinese developer that a ton of people play on mobile, a ton of people play on you know console, PC, but they just recently kind of like teased a user-generated content mode. And modding has always been big in the gaming industry. And this is just really like a new evolution for that. And so more ways to create and more ways to get rewarded based on creation is a really big trend that I think um, it's going to play a role in, you know, whatever the metaverse becomes and gaming is really going to be a primary driver of that. Another example that's sort of related is it's not necessarily just going to be rewarding for creators, but it could also be increasingly rewarding for users as well. And so one one area that's been gaining a lot of conversation in the gaming industry is kind of the whole concept of, of blockchain games. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people hate them. A lot of people just hate the concept of NFTs and games. And there are a lot of people also who are, you know, think that, you know, NFTs are going to take over everything in the gaming industry. And the reality is more in the middle. Most games should not have NFTs and tokens, but um, 
by essentially enabling player networks to turn into player economies and become mm. like truly player owned economies where some of the assets players can own or they can put things to work and get like rewarded or compete for like real tokens and like these these games like these worlds like have actual functioning like in-game economies in them that's that's really exciting and so uh maybe like the easiest example for uh listeners to understand is like you if you imagine a card game like hearthstone which basically is just you have a bunch of different cards in a deck and they're all you know different spells and monsters and you kind of fight you know someone else with your cards uh hearthstone made by blizzard part of activision blizzard players you know put a lot of money into card packs you don't know what's in those card packs but then you you build up this collection of cards. Some of them you use and put into decks. Some of them just sit in your inventory forever, gathering dust. But you know, you only put money into the game. You don't get any money or value back out of the game. But like, what if those cards were NFTs and you actually could own the card? And instead of just putting money in to buy the card, you could sell the card. You could trade the card. You can instead of you could build whatever deck you want pretty instantly, like based on an open market. And in some ways too, um, some of these economies. Most games like have an in-game currency in them, but mm. if that in-game currency is actually a token, then you might actually be able to get like rewarded with something that can kind of represent real-world money that again can be traded to buy more of these cards or sell them to earn it and then trade it into to fiat. Um, so there's a ton of like it's so early and there are so many best practices that need to be learned to make this possible. But I think the concept of player-owned economies is really powerful. And I'm pretty sold that, that, you know, something meaningful is going to come from, from this and a bunch Mm. of different, there's a ton, there's been a pretty big exodus of talent towards people building these kinds of games. And so I think it's a matter of time before, you know, more blockchain based games becomes a reality, which kind of plays into potentially the whole concept of like a more decentralized internet, a more user owned internet, et cetera. So that, so that's also really exciting. Yeah, do you, do you think that that's fascinating? And I, it's one of the best descriptions of, of an application for blockchain I've, I've actually ever heard in gaming. But do you think this is a, a future threat then for the big gaming companies? You mentioned Roblox there and their kind of in-platform economy. If if gamers are now kind of, I suppose, jailbreaking the value chain or the, the chain out and, and bringing it into the real world and into a more decentralized world, does that pre- present a future threat for, I suppose, existing gaming companies as we know them? Yeah, I definitely think so. I think, um, you know, most of the experimentation and the innovation is going to come from smaller teams who Mm. frankly have less to lose. Um, And also, you know, like a lot of the rules around crypto, they're still not really set on, you know, like the Apple's App Store and, you know, Steam, the big platform for PC games. They're, you know, pretty anti-crypto right now. And so like, like, there are all those factors going on too. But I mean, we already do see that some of the bigger gaming companies have made small inroads into testing games with NFTs or investing in other teams that are making them or trying to build some type of technology um, or partnering with certain blockchain teams. So there is a lot of activity going on, but it's still very few of the big companies have made big steps yet into this space. And I have a feeling they'll want a bit more clarity, regulatory clarity, but also just clarity on best practices for building for building these types of games in the first place before they like really accelerate and go all in, which they probably won't ever go all in or yeah. most of them at least, but yeah, it'll be it'll be a bit of a of a process, a long term process to to get there. 
if any of our listeners are kind of interested in this idea of the blockchain gaming, you know, where, where would you send them first? Obviously to yourselves over at Navic, but, but where would you kind of point them first in order to find out more information, maybe even get involved a bit? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would suggest checking out Navic. We have done a lot of work and we're continuing to do a lot of work to just publish free content to help people understand what this means. And so, mm. um, for example, we published an essay called Into the Void, where... Crypto meets the metaverse. And it was published by a friend of mine, Pierce Kicks. And it's like, a, it's a really, really great deep dive into understanding how crypto and games can interact and how things could evolve into the future. And we were, we're also um, working on many more essays in that department as well. But really, I guess I would, there aren't a ton of great resources for like really just understanding things at a high level really mm. well. Um, but if you want to check out specific games, just to see what like people are up to, Axie Infinity is probably the most popular game, play to earn game as, as they, they call them. But there are other games like The Sandbox, which is kind of like a world game where there's like digital land and they have like also like creator tools to build stuff. Splinterlands, Crypto Raiders. Uh, these are just like examples of games that like if you are interested in just seeing what is being built, these are all very different, but they all have white papers that you can you can get some more information about how they they work for the for probably the two of you out there <laughs> that are willing <laughs> that are willing to do that <laughs> absolutely aaron i could talk to you all day but i, I i've noticed we've, we've got on quite a bit already so i'm going to start wrapping them, this up but what i want to ask you is you know we're, we're here in 2022 do you look forward to say 2042 20 years in the future what do you perceive the gaming industry to look like there's so many exciting changes happening you know there's just too many to cover in, in one or even a whole series of podcast episodes what where do you think gaming industry is going? What do you see it look like in 20 years? Well, I think that um, for starters, most people in the world are going to be gamers of different types. And we're going to have amazing games across even more devices than we do right now. And um, even games that we do have right now that are you know more made for a single device, like a particular console. I think that we're going to see cross-platform play become more viable. We're going to see cloud gaming become more viable. The whole concept of you can play any game on any device anywhere. I think that's going to become a pretty big deal. Uh, we are going to see more of these like incredible ecosystems form around some of these bigger companies like Xbox and Microsoft. I don't know in 20 years what that'll look like, but I yeah. think there's, there's plenty of room for, for these teams that have both content, like incredible content efforts, incredible technology efforts. They're leaders in, you know, just cloud infrastructure. Um, to, to kind of build these incredible experiences for users, for developers, uh, et cetera, that just kind of make more and more possible. I think that we're going to see more democratization. Being able to become a creator is going to be easier than ever. Being a user, you're just going to have more types of games that you can play. And in some cases, it's going to be more worth your while. <laughs> I think we're going to see new types of jobs okay. form. Um, which is going to be revolving around those who are building, those who are selling, those who are even in games, like kind of like in these so-called metaverse worlds, kind of in the same way that if you look in the past and, you know, like you could pay people for like gold for like RuneScape and like, you know, there's just people out there grinding uh, on accounts to sell you gold. Like these things are going to become more embedded into games in the future that have these like actual economies baked into them. I think that blockchain technology 
uh, more so than just even allowing you to allowing you to own things in games. It's going to create more composability, allowing people to build on top of other people's creations more easily. Eventually, it's going to lead to more interoperability, where uh, assets from games um, can work closer together. And even though I do expect more consolidation to happen in the future, I think that we're going to continue to see new waves of innovation from lots of new startups that continue to kind of change the dynamics of the, the landscape, disrupting technologically, disrupting business models. And, you know, uh, over the, you know, an enormous industry that's going to be worth, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars with billions of players, there's just going to be so many ways to win over, over the long term. And it's going to be gaming centric, but gaming is increasingly going to interact with other forms of entertainment, other IP, other lots of other, you know, industries too. So I'm excited for, for the future. I have no idea, you know, the specifics of a lot of those, how they'll play out, but I, I fully believe that it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty crazy 20 years. Yeah, exactly. And I just, even the perception of, of gaming and gaming, just so many different facets to that. I, I don't think a lot of people realize before I came on here today, I'd mentioned to the rest of the, my Wall Street analyst team that I was chatting to you. And I instantly got a list back of companies saying, ask them about this company, ask them about this company. So if you don't mind, before we finish up, I might hit you with five companies. I just want you to give me a one sentence. Can you be one word perspective on what you think about them as, as an investor and, and, and as, a, as a gamer? So uh, I go with an easy one first, Activision Blizzard. Yeah, I mean, obviously they've had a really tough couple of years. The stock getting whacked is 100% justified. They've had leadership turnover, delays in making games. It hasn't been good. Microsoft buying in while they're at a lower price is a pretty great deal. I think the thing to keep an eye out for is regulators. See if they will screw it up or not. Um, my guess is they won't, but there, there might be like little concessions they have to make around exclusives and things like that. Okay, interesting. Take two. I think they are increasingly a, like a titan in the making. Um, mm. Five years ago, most people probably thought of them as the GTA, the Grand Theft Auto company. And since then, they've done a lot of work to increasingly diversify their business. They've done a good job doing that. Um, acquiring Zynga is going to put them in a really good position on mobile. And uh, they recently put out guidance for the next like three to five years. That was pretty strong. I also think one maybe under-discussed part of the Zynga acquisition is that I, I have a feeling that Zynga's CEO, Frank Chabot, could be the next Take-Two CEO after Strauss Selnick steps down. Uh Um, Not sure when that's going to happen, but uh, pretty interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Roblox. Roblox is a completely new breed of company. It's making something that didn't exist in the past and has an incredible network effect, has an incredible technology platform. And I think why I like Roblox so much, just thinking of why they'll continue to win and beat out everyone else is because they're just so far ahead of everyone. But not only that, they can use their scale to reinvest more into improving their platform than probably all of their competitors combined. (laughs) And so not only are they ahead, but I think that's just going to allow them to continue, continue their lead over a long period of time. And it's not just about games, but it's going to, we're going to see a ton of companies build really cool experiences on, on Roblox too. Yeah, absolutely. I think I know your your opinion on the next company, but I'll ask anyway. Unity. Yeah, Unity. We talked about it a bit. Really great technology platform. Much more they can do. Um, this is a company that they've they've been reinvesting so heavily that you know they have been burning money for a long period of time. So from like an investing standpoint, I've always felt you know over the past year that especially just like when tech companies were like really at their high that <laughs> maybe there was like too much optimism baked yeah. into to unity stock even though it's a really cool 
company. And I think there's some uncertainty of they've acquired so much, they've built so much. It's not just for gaming, it's for other industries too. How can they bring all of this together into like a simple, like a simplified offering for, for users to tap into all of their different tools in a more unified way. So I think there, there's some execution risk with Unity when it comes to just maintaining their pace of growth and turning out the kind of profitability that will actually lead to, to them being valued at many, many tens of billions of dollars. But what they're building is pretty remarkable and it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if they get there eventually. Two more. Uh, this one is is kind of adjacent to gaming, I suppose, but uh, Matterport. Matterport. I don't know too much yeah. about Matterport, so I'm going to skip on that one. <laughs> that was a bit of a curveball. And the last one is a curveball as well. This was submitted by Emmett, so you can blame him. He wants to know what your opinion was on Ethereum. On Ethereum. Interesting. So I am a big believer that the demand for compute on blockchains is going to continue to grow really, really rapidly. And Ethereum is probably the place that most people still want to build on. And so from that perspective, I think that Ethereum can continue to do really well from here. However, the, the demand for compute has outstripped the supply that Ethereum has been able to give. Um, mm. They've been kind of slow to scale for, you know, I think for good reasons, but it's allowed other blockchains like Terra, like Solana, et cetera, to also become viable competitors in their own right. And they all have their different focuses, but still there's more competition than in the past uh, because Ethereum has been kind of slow to, to develop. But I still think that Ethereum is probably going to stay the top dog that they're, that, you know, even though they have been kind of slow to like really put forward changes that allow them to scale and serve more users that, mm. that, you know, they will get there. And also, um, there are a lot of really interesting layer twos that are being built on top of Ethereum, like Polygon, like Immutable, where lots of where lots of teams are building um, yeah. in the gaming industry, but also outside of it. And I don't see Ethereum going away by any means. It's not going to be as dominant as in the past, but you know, I think if we zoom, if you believe that demand for compute on blockchains is going to continue to grow really quickly. If you look forward 10 years, Ethereum's still absolutely going to be in the picture and probably a lot bigger than it is today. Cool. Thanks, man, for that, Aaron. That was brilliant. So before you go, make sure to let us know where people can find out more about you and catch up on some of the work you're doing over at Navic. Sure. So definitely check out Navic.co. It's spelled N-A-A-V-I-K.co. We publish you know, a free newsletter. We have a podcast about the games industry, we publish a bunch of essays and things. So if you're interested about the gaming industry, wants to learn about the trends that are going on, want to stay up to date with what companies are up to, what new games are coming out, et cetera, make sure to, to, to check those out. Brilliant. Thanks so much for joining us today, Aaron. Make sure to come back soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, James. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. 
Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.